This morning, as we look at that, focus on hope. We have one particular verse in Psalm 130, which is the central part of that. And to appreciate this one verse, I want to share with you the eight verses of that psalm. And many of these words are very familiar to you. The psalmist writes, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? And with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Dear friends in Christ, it was the summer of 1820. And a 10-year-old boy named Phineas, he was about to see the island, his island. The day he was born, his father had presented newborn Phineas with a deed. And this was a deed to some land in Connecticut called Ivy Island. And for the first time, Phineas was going to see and to play on this island, his island. Well, his parents were quick to remind Phineas that not every boy is born a landowner. Neighbors had feared that the young landowner you know, wouldn't want to play with their children. And, you know, when you own an island, you feel important. Well, when you own an island, you want to see it. And Phineas had yet to see his. But now that day had come, and on that summer day in 1820, after a long ride on a horse and buggy, Phineas jumped from the wagon, and he ran through the meadow, and he peered through a row of trees, and he saw Ivy Island. And when he saw it, he stopped. His heart sank. You see, Ivy Island was five acres of poison ivy, and it was also snake-infested. His grandfather had called it the most valuable piece of land in Connecticut, but it was worthless. His father told him it was a generous gift, but it wasn't. It was a joke. It was a cruel, heartless joke. And Phineas stood there in disbelief, and he uttered four words, four of the most haunting words in the English language. But I had hoped. There was so much pain packed into those four words. But I had hoped. Well, imagine Isaiah's anticipation about the word of the Lord when it came to him in 740 B.C. And in the opening chapters of Isaiah, he writes about the nation streaming to Israel. And he says that they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And as I shared Wednesday night with the people there, these weapons of war became tools for agriculture. And then he goes on to say that a virgin is going to conceive and bear a son. And his name will be called Emmanuel. He will be God with us. And then the names given to him, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And with such great and precious promises here, 
Everything was going to be great for Isaiah. It'd be smooth sailing, right? Wrong. Dead wrong. Because later in Isaiah in chapters 29 through 31, he talks about the people, the people who have God, you know, saying his name with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. In Isaiah chapter 30, he says that the people are stubborn. They have plans, but those plans aren't anywhere close to God's plans. And then in chapter 31, the prophet says that the Israelites, they rely on horses and chariots, but they don't look to the Lord for counsel to consult the Holy One of Israel instead. Well, after hearing about peace and Emmanuel and the coming king, you know, really, is this how the people are living? Can you hear Isaiah's heavy sigh? But I had hoped the result for him, it seemed like to be shattered hope, sad hope, worthless hope, what are our options? Well, we can become bitter. Do you know that Phineas, you know, the Phineas of Ivy Island fame, that he became bitter for the rest of his life? In fact, he made a career out of being bitter. He made his life out of fooling people, just as he had been fooled. Now, you don't know him as Phineas, but you do know him as P.T., P.T. Barnum, from the Barnum and Bailey Circus, of course. Well, when we lose hope, we can become broken. You know, someone once challenged Ernest Hemingway to write a story in just six words. And taking up that challenge, he did. And so he ended up writing, For sale, baby shoes never worn. Isn't that tragic? For, ba- for sale, baby shoes never worn. It's a story of so much hope. Baby shoes. And yet it's also a story about crushed hope. Never worn, never used. When we lose hope, we can disappear into sadness. We know, we just know, perhaps you know, we're thinking, we'll never be happy again. And when life after loss happens, it doesn't follow an orderly or predictable path. It can seem like, you know, a plate of tangled up spaghetti as far as how our life is going. There's no rhyme or reason, perhaps, that we're feeling. And those four words consume us. But I had hoped. Well, when things in life crush our hearts, we can become bitter We can become broken, or we can become believing. After the American Civil War, the College of William and Mary, it had to close its doors. And weeds grew on the campus, roofs tumbled in, windows were broken, and it was all going to be lost if it weren't for the efforts of one man, that man being Benjamin Ewell. Ewell went to the bell tower every morning, And he rang the bell calling students to class. But there were no students there. And there weren't any professors either. For seven years, 
every day Yule would go and ring that bell. Well, Yule, he refused to become bitter. He refused to become broken. Instead, he became believing. And the result? The William and Mary College, it reopened in 1888. And today is one of the foremost colleges on the East Coast. This is Isaiah. Isaiah, he keeps ringing the bells. And in spite of all that's going on, the prophet writes these words later in chapter 40 now. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall soar on wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. And the word wait that you see there, that's the same word in Hebrew as the word hope. You see the connection? Biblical waiting means waiting with hope. And biblical hope means hoping while we wait. They go together like peas and carrots, Laurel and Hardy, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, and yes, even Burton Ernie. On the other hand, we won't wait if we don't have hope. And hope won't help us if we don't learn how to wait. Isaiah 40, verse 31 here, it really confirms one of the most powerful words in the Bible. And the words in this verse combine waiting with hope and something that gives us a spring in our step. It produces a song in our heart, perhaps. But they're still just words. They're letters forming ideas, figures on a page you know, announcing concepts and thoughts and viewpoints. And that's why Isaiah then goes on, especially in chapter 53 and, and beyond, and even in 50, he talks about the suffering servant who took on flesh and blood for us, that he gave his back to those who would beat him and pull out his beard, and he wouldn't hide his face from mocking and spitting. That servant would be the one who would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and even he would be led like a lamb. And he wouldn't open his mouth in any type of protest he knew what he was facing. The servant, that suffering servant Jesus, was going to give himself over to suffering and death, and he's going to feel a Roman whip, and he's going to hear and feel the effects of that hammer as it pounds through the nails. Hope will listen and love. Hope will hear and heal. Hope will have a name. And that name is Jesus. Let me take you to another time in Scripture involving Jesus. Let's jump ahead to Easter Day. But we had hoped. Those are the words that were there. The words of the Emmaus disciples in Luke 24. As Jesus is walking with Cleopas and his friend on the way to Emmaus, which is a village about seven miles west of Jerusalem. The two disciples, they're bitter. But we had hoped. They're broken. And they're in so much despair that they don't even see Jesus walking with them. 
I get that. And so do you, I'm sure. What does Jesus do? Does he scold them? Does he badmouth them or just dismiss their words? No, he doesn't. He goes on to tell them that Jesus is the one who makes himself known through the scriptures and through the Lord's Supper even. That's where Jesus delivers hope. Recently, there were 122 men who had suffered a heart attack and they were evaluated based upon their hope. And of the 25 men with the least hope, 21 died within eight years. And of the 25 with the most hope, only six died within eight years. You can do the math. The loss of hope increased the odds of death by 300%. Loss of hope predicted death more accurately than blood pressure or the amount of earlier heart damage or even cholesterol level. I wonder if it's better to eat Twinkies and hope than to have broccoli and despair. What do you think? I'm not recommending that. I am not a doctor. Please consult your own physicians for your health. But when you look at verse 6 of Psalm 130, you see something about a particular image that's described by the psalmist. However long the night seems, the morning will surely come. It always comes, every day, without fail, doesn't it? And however long those night hours are, however long it may seem before God answers your prayers and lifts you out of the depths like he lifts the psalmist, the sunlight will appear. Morning will come. Psalm 30, verse 5 says that weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Joy, that's something we're going to talk about next week, as Pastor Strand mentioned. It does come. It'll happen. Trust it. Trust him. God does not ignore or neglect his children who wait for him and hope in him. The morning will come. Maybe it'll come to you today as you're reminded that the steadfast love of God, as the scriptures say, it never changes. He's always there for us. Maybe the sunshine will break through for you again. And maybe that dawn will break when your sense of darkness has perhaps sufficiently even broken you. And you, you feel the sense of the, the depth of perhaps even sins that are taking place. But this I promise you, the darkness will not last. It won't last for any child of God one hour longer than the Father knows best for us. And then, morning, joy, peace. Confident of all this, that psalmist ends his psalm saying, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Put your hope friends, in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love all through the watches of the night. For us, with the Lord, it's for redemption too. He doesn't just forgive part of our sins or maybe 
solve part of our problems. He himself will redeem Israel. And that includes us Gentiles who believe and trust in Israel's Messiah. He will redeem them from all their sins. Knowing that you are redeemed in Christ, you can have always that joy and peace. And it's something that I hope you want to share so that those people out there who are in darkness, that they may see that light of Christ too. Come to it and join us as we look forward to the joys of heaven and a new earth where the lion and the lamb and all will live in peace and hope and joy. In his name, amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.